Why do we remember the death of Christ? And I think it's fitting that we do so. It has been the practice as well on these communion days during the normal schedule, three or four times a a year, um, I spend it in Isaiah 53. And I'm going to do that again this evening. So if you have Bibles with you, I'm going to encourage you to open them up to Isaiah chapter 53. Isaiah chapter 53. I like to think of this, uh, this section of our study here tonight as to the fact that Christ's death satisfied something. Matter of fact, it satisfied an awful lot of things. Three things we're going to note as we think this through this evening. His death satisfied our need. His death satisfied his need. And his death satisfied his father's need. And that's the three I'd like to focus on here this evening. As we've been going through Isaiah 53, and and it's kind of hard to keep uh, uh, track of it since it's every three months apart, it seems. Uh, we have looked at several different things this chapter has told us. Even though we're familiar with the chapter, uh, we're learning of the facts that are stated in this chapter. We have found our first study here that we are sinful and we deserve God's wrath. That's expressed in this chapter. We have seen as well that we are rebellious and refuse to listen to God's truth. Now, none of these things are very... Uh, nicely reflecting us (laughs) in any way. We are rebellious and we refuse to listen to God's truth. And yet Christ came to this spiritually barren, morally depraved world. He was willing to come here. And more than just come here, he died for us. He took our sin. He took our punishment. That's what this chapter has told us. He not only has done that physically for us, but also in sufferings far beyond our understanding. He took our ridicule, too. He took our our shame. He took our abuse. He took these things as well. His suffering was more than just physical. It was emotional. And it was spiritual, too. And he did that on our behalf. And that's where it's led us here this evening to the thoughts of Christ's death satisfying our need and his need and the Father's need. Let's ask for the Lord's help as we begin. Heavenly Father, your word is before us again and we thank you for it and thank you for the way that you have written out what you would have us to know about our Savior's death. You put it in black and white so we cannot mistake it for anything else than what it is. Pure grace pure love, pure mercy to people who are so undeserving of all three. But you have done that, and we rejoice in that. And as we spend our time in your word and reflect upon that, we pray that you might uh, warm our hearts, draw us close to yourself, we pray, and prepare us for this time together around your table. In Jesus' name, amen. I was reminded of something just even this evening. I was, uh, every now and then I get in the mood for 
ham and beans, and I said, oh, they're so good. And I had those cooking in a slow cooker all day long. And, and I needed cornbread, of course, to go with it. And I've learned how to make cornbread. I think I'm getting better at it anyway, because I'm reminded of the fact that quite a number of years ago, uh, made some cornbread, and, and we had a dog, not like our dog today, but like him in one way, he was a mental case too. Um, I guess we only collect those kind of animals. And uh, we had a dog and uh, leftover cornbread and just tossed it out back for the dog. He buried it. I don't know what that meant, but it, it, didn't, it didn't make me feel very good to think that that's the first thing the dog thought of. He just wasn't satisfied, I guess. Satisfaction is a funny thing, isn't it? We might talk about, you know, what satisfies you and what satisfies me, and, and we might have different opinions of that. But this text that we're going to look at here tonight is very clear in its statement of who is satisfied and how. And we're going to do that. And I gave you the order of our need and, and Christ's need and the Father's need. I'm going to reverse it in order to speak to you about it. We're going to start with the Father's need. And you're going to find some of these verses to be, uh, um, well, pretty incredible. For example, let's start in verse number 10. Isaiah 53, verse 10. This is a Father's need. The Lord was pleased to crush him putting him to grief. If he would re render himself as a guilt offering, he will see his offspring, he will prolong his days, and the good pleasure of the Lord will prosper in his hand. Look at those first five or six words again. But the Lord was pleased to crush him. We read through a lot of things in Scripture, but this is, this is a almost an alarming phrase, isn't it? To read, the Lord was pleased to crush him. I'm going to give you two reasons this evening of how the Father was satisfied with the death of Jesus Christ. And the first is the fact that he was satisfied uh, regarding his justice. Satisfied to the extent that he had declared a punishment for sin and for those who commit it. This verse says the Lord was pleased. He, he was, he was uh, favorable to this. Favorable to the crushing of his own son. That's where he was leaning in all these things. Uh, because he is a just God. And he is a faithful God. Those two things sometimes are hard for us to reconcile. Sometimes people say, how can you be just and be merciful? Or how can you be just and you can be loving? And yet God is capable of all of these 100% all the time. And so if it goes a little bit beyond what we're able to put together, that's okay. Because his thoughts are above our thoughts. And his ways are above our ways. But his justice has been declared to us throughout Scripture. And I'm going to read to you several passages just to show you what I mean. They're familiar, I believe. The first one being Genesis chapter 2. I'll go all the way back before man had even sinned at all. In Genesis chapter 2, we have Adam and Eve in a garden. 
They had everything around them that we would call ideal, perfect. They had no issues to deal with, no traffic jams, no need to report to work at a certain time. They had, they had none of the, the needs that we have today. We would say, boy, I would have liked to have traded places with them in that garden, in the situation they were in. And yet the Lord spoke to them very clearly. And he said in Genesis 2, verse 16, The Lord commanded the man, saying, From any tree of the garden you may freely eat, but from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat from it, you will what? Surely die. Was he kidding? No, he was not. He was rather serious about what he had said. Romans 3.23 on the other side of our, our Bible says, For the wages of sin is death. All have sinned, uh, that's it, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. 6.23, the wages of sin is death. God has been very faithful in his justice. He told man the day he eats of it, he shall surely die. Did they eat of it? Yes, they did. Genesis chapter 3 tells us that. And immediately, the justice of God has gone into place. In Genesis chapter 6, I don't know how many years later this would be. Many years later, several generations down the road, this is what God saw when he looked upon the earth. Genesis 6, verse 6, The Lord was sorry that he made man on the earth. And he was grieved in his heart. And the Lord said, I will blot out man whom I have created from the face of the land, from man to animal to creeping things to birds of the sky, for I am sorry that I have made them. But Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. Then it goes through a, a biography of Noah here. And then in verse number 11 it says, Now the earth was corrupt in the sight of God, and the earth was filled with violence. And God looked on the earth, and behold, it was corrupt for all flesh had corrupted their way upon the earth. It didn't take us long, did it, as man? It didn't take us long to, to saturate the earth with sinfulness. He says it was corrupt. It was just thoroughly corrupt. The nature of our world today is still that way. We haven't improved a thing, by the way, except how to sin. We've gotten better at that. Uh, but the fact is that sin is still prevalent among us. It's not, it's not a surprise at all in God's Word. He said in Second Peter, chapter number 3, these words. He says in verse 3, Know this first of all, that in the last days mockers will come with their mockings, following after their own lust. There's another picture. Not only are they committing these sins as the others have as well, but now they've added the element of mocking, too. And what are they mocking? They're mocking God himself. This is what they say. Peter says, Where is the promise of his coming? For every sense of fathers fell asleep. All continues just as it was from the beginning of creation. When they maintain this, it escapes their notice. That by the word of God, the heavens existed long ago, and the earth was formed out of water and by water through which the world at that time was destroyed, being flooded by water. But by his word, the present heavens and earth are being reserved for fire, 
kept for the day of judgment and destruction of ungodly men. So do not let this one fact escape your notice, beloved, that with the Lord one day is like a thousand years and a thousand years like one day. And the Lord is not slow about His promise. His promise to do what? To destroy the ungodliness of man. He's not slow about His promise, as some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing for any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. See, this is, this is the justice of God set before us, and God will keep His justice to the end, won't He? Faithfully keep His justice all the way through. He had declared what He said, and He will do it. Now, if there was no other part to this story, this would not be a happy service, now would it? We would not be have any reason for joy or hope or anything if this was all there was to it. But God is a faithful God. He keeps His promise. And just the passage I read here, He mentions over and over, His Word, His Word, His promise, His promise. He keeps uh, pounding on those things and He says, it will come, it will come, it will come. It's where we are in Isaiah. As we're looking through this little passage of Isaiah, the Lord was pleased to crush him. You see, in the justice of God, it needed to be done to show His faithfulness to His own Word, to, to show His justice in His own character. He needed to do that. It satisfies Him. It satisfies His righteousness and His holiness. And it, it goes way beyond us, I'm afraid. But it's a satisfying thing for the Father to crush the Savior, Jesus Christ. There's a prayer in the garden, if you remember. Jesus was there just before his crucifixion, and he went aside. Remember the disciples? He told them, stay here and pray a little while, and I'll go over here and pray too. And he went over there, and perhaps you know some of the words that he expressed in that prayer. For they are recorded for us, and and they have become very familiar to us. Matthew says his first prayer was, If it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Not yet as I will, but as thy will. I've thought through that phrase, if it is possible. It is, if it is possible. The Lord wasn't negotiating with His Father. But He was stating something in that very prayer, which is alarming, I believe. Is there no other one who can take this cup? Am I the only one, the only one who can drink of this cup of yours? What agony that must be. How alone that must feel to think there's not even one other righteous person on earth capable of meeting this need. I am the only one. If it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Remember when Abraham pleaded for Sodom? He said, Lord, I know you're going to destroy it, but say say there's... Fifty righteous people in Sodom. Would you spare it for fifty people? And the Lord says, All right, Abraham, I'll spare it for fifty people. And maybe Abraham got to thinking and counting it in his head and said, <laughs> We're going to come up short. Let's, let's reduce the number. Lord, how about, how about if we go with uh, forty righteous men? Would you, would you be satisfied with forty righteous men? Will you spare that city? 
The Lord says, okay. And then he started his little tally again, and he realized, uh, that's still a little high. The Lord was so gracious to let him come back again, and he says, okay, Lord, um, how about 30? Can we go with 30? The Lord says, okay. He says, okay, how about 20? It was almost like he was going to work his way down to nothing, I think, if he could. And he worked his way actually down to 10. 10 righteous men? Is that too hard to find? 10 righteous men in a city that size? Surely there must be some, at least 10. What did he find the next morning when he looked out? Abraham saw the city in smoke. Do you know why? There were not 10 righteous men in that city. I could probably sense his heart just sinking inside him, thinking, not even ten? Not even ten? Jeremiah writes in this way, too, later. He says, Roam to and fro throughout the streets of Jerusalem, and look now, and take note, and seek in her open squares, if you can find a man, one man, a man, if there is one who does justice, who seeks truth, then I will pardon her. One. There were none. So Jesus in his prayer, can you see it? As he's praying, he says it again, Lord, unless I drink this, unless I drink it, I drink this. Is there no one else? Must I drink that? And then in each prayer, he ended with the same thing, didn't he? Your will be done. Your will be done. You see, he understood that the Father was satisfied. Satisfied that the sinner had to die in his sin. It was an aspect of God's justice. It was an aspect of his Father's faithfulness. And he knew he was sent to take their place. He knew he was called by his Father to take the place of the sinner and to die in his stead. And God was pleased with that. He satisfied the Father's need that His justice and His faithfulness be declared. But it's more than that. Thankfully, it's a lot more than that. For there was something else that He needed to display. Besides just His justice, there was also His grace. We have a Father that's just full of grace. As full of grace as He is of love and mercy and all the other aspects. And all the way through, he speaks of his grace toward us, his grace toward us. And that needed satisfied. The death of Christ accomplished that. In Ephesians chapter 1 and into chapter 2, some of my favorite passages of Scripture, I'm going to read to you these words. And, and notice how the, the Father expresses to us how satisfied he is that he can display his grace before us, that we can be recipients of it. There was a, a place at Moody Bible Institute that we somewhat um, compared to the Holy of Holies. All right? It was the president's office. Dr. Sweeting's office had special locks in the elevator just to get onto that floor. And then you had to go across in and unlock with a special key to get inside of that room. And uh, we janitors had the keys. And we would go up there because it was required of us to, you know, vacuum and clean up and all that. We took cameras with us. 
And we'd sit in his chair and take pictures and send them home and say, See, we've been here a week and we're running a place already. And things like that. But he had special carpet. A carpet that you had to rake it when you were done because it left footprints. And you say, well, this is kind of ridiculous. It was the Holy of Holies to us to actually step into such a room. When I think of Ephesians chapter 1, I think that that's exactly where we are in God's plans of everything. He takes the time to tell us, this is what I'm thinking about you. If he hadn't written these chapters, we would have never had access to it. We wouldn't have understood it. But he writes it out for us so we can see his eternal plan, what he's working from the foundation of the world, it says. That was before you and I were here. These are the things God said. And so it starts here in Ephesians 1, verse 4. He chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we would be holy and blameless before him. In love he predestined us to adoption as sons through Jesus Christ to himself according to the kind intention of his will to the praise of the glory of his grace. His grace which he freely bestowed on us in the beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace which he lavished on us. Now, What's fascinating in this phrase is, this is what he thought of before the world was made, and he's already saying they need forgiveness. And he, in his grace, he already designed that we should be forgiven before we had even stepped on this planet. He knew exactly the kind of people we are. And in his grace, he planned for these things to the praise of the glory of his grace, which he lavished on us. And he tells us is his will He made known to us the mystery of his will according to his kind intention, which he purposed in him. And he's going to sum all things up in Christ, he goes on to say. And we have an inheritance in him, he goes on to say. And so in the end, we who were the first to hope in Christ would be to the praise of his glory. He's faithful to that, isn't he? A display of his grace and by It says in Ephesians chapter 2, just the simple phrases you probably already know. For by grace you have been saved. This is what satisfies our Father. That His grace be displayed before us. You see why He was pleased to crush Him? It displayed His full character, didn't it? His character of justice. His character of faithfulness, His character of grace. All of these displayed so that we do not wonder if He loves us. We don't wonder that. We know that. It met the Father's need. It met the Son's need as well. This little passage in Isaiah, the next verse, verse number 11, speaks of the Son after it. It speaks of the good pleasure the Lord will prosper in his hand. As a result of the anguish of his soul, he will see it and be satisfied. You see those beautiful words? He will see it and be satisfied. By his knowledge, the righteous one, my servant, will justify the many. He will bear their iniquities. He will see it and be satisfied. Satisfied here again. It's more than just a, a, 
a satisfaction for nourishment. That's, that's more times than not when we think of satisfied. It's something that makes us, oh, just full or happy or content. We're satisfied with a lot of things that sometimes are temporary in nature. He's satisfied with much more than that. He's satisfied with the, the good gifts that God has given. He's satisfied with the results that God brings about because of his own death. Back in John chapter 4, there's a beautiful story there where Jesus goes to a well. It's in the land of Samaria. And he sits at the well and a, a woman comes there who would not come at any other time of the day because she was not welcomed. She was the Samaritan woman. She had had several husbands. She was now living with one who was not hers. And as she came to that well, thinking nobody else would be there, there sat Jesus. He started a conversation with her, if you recall that passage. And he talked to her about the things of the Lord. The end result of that conversation, she went running home. She ran into the town and she, she talked to all that she could find and said, I found him. Come and see if this is not the Messiah. Come and see him. And the town came to see him. In the meantime, after she had left, the disciples had gone out for some food. And they brought it back to Jesus and said, look here, we, we've just bought this at the market. Fresh from McDonald's or someplace like that. And, and here we have it for you. So here, your food. And Jesus says, I have food to eat that you don't understand. You know not of. He was satisfied with another kind of thing. And it wasn't the temporary need of, of filling one's to, uh, uh, stomach or feeling f- feeling better about one's. He was satisfied that the Lord was at work in the heart of these people. For just as he said that, he looks up and he sees on the her- her- horizon all of the Samaritans coming out to him. And he says, look at that. You know what that was? All these people coming? Satisfaction for what he just was about to do. He was going to die on a cross for those people. It satisfied him to see the many. It satisfied his soul to know that he would justify them. See, his, his satisfaction was fully accomplished in his father's will. He drank of that cup, didn't he? Remember his last words on the cross? He said, It is finished. He did not say, I am finished. What was it? It was the will of his father. That's what satisfied him. He, he was satisfied to know that his death accomplished what his father had asked him to do. And satisfied as well to know that the fruit of his labor, the anguish of his soul, would lead to the life of so many more. Even there at the cross, it was already bearing fruit, wasn't it? What happened to the one thief who turned to him and said, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom? Fruit, immediate fruit. Today you will be with me in paradise, was his words. How could he do that? Because that was his need, and that's what the Father had told him would come of this. His death would lead to the life of so many others. Through his death, man can be justified. Justified, the neat word. 
Justified means more than just as if I had never sinned, as some people translate it. It actually means that God can declare you and me, a guilty sinner, not guilty because the price had been paid by another. You ever had that happen to you before? There's this thing that I've heard of here or there, a random act of kindness. Once it happened to me, it was a small surprise, but Kay and I were in a a drive-thru to pick up something at a window at a little restaurant, and as we came up to the window, they handed us the food, and they said, the people in the car ahead of you just paid for your meal. We had no idea who that person was. I said, hey, that's kind of neat. It would have been nice to know who they were, too. Do you know what I would have done? I would have thanked them. If somebody died on your behalf and paid for your sin, and you did not know who that was, would you be grateful? I hope so. If you knew who it was who did that, would you be grateful and say so to them? Our Savior did that. He did that for us, didn't he? He paid our price that we owed. He he served as a priest. An, an incredible picture in Hebrews. How he as a priest would not only come and offer the sacrifice on behalf of the people, but he became the sacrifice on behalf of the people. No other priest in history has ever done that. Took the place of the offering and offered himself. And yet his, his offering is so much greater than any other, as Hebrews would say, for his offering will save you forever. All the other ones were temporary. His was of a different nature. That's the fruit that comes from his death on our behalf. And he was satisfied with it. And he still is. Every single time somebody comes to know the Lord as Savior, the Lord is satisfied that that's the fruit of his labor. The anguish of his soul, satisfied. He prayed that way in John 17. He prayed, Lord, these are mine. I give my life for them that they may be with me forever, that they may see my glory. And then later in Revelation, it speaks of those who say, Worthy are you, O Lord, to take the book and break the seals. For you purchased for God with your blood men from every tribe and tongue and people and nation. Someday when you stand before Him in glory, you who have been justified by His blood, you who have been forgiven because of His death, you will stand before Him and He will say, I am satisfied with the labor and the anguish of my soul, for here is the fruit. That's you and me. He's satisfied with that. That's his need. That's what he accomplished on our behalf. Now, I've told you what the Father needed. He's just, and he's faithful, and he's full of grace, and he needed to have that displayed. That's what took place at a cross. Our Savior needed to fulfill the will of His Father. And our Savior needed to see the fruit of His labor. And He's satisfied there at that cross. Now there's one more group. And that's you and me. You and me. What is our satisfaction in all this? In Isaiah 53, listen to these words. Verse number 5. He was pierced through for our 
transgressions. That's plural, isn't it? It's not for one thing we did, it's for everything we did. Don't make a mistake about that. Jesus Christ died for your sins. He didn't say, except, and then start listing a handful of things that he didn't die for. He died for our sins. He was pierced through for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The chastening of our well-being fell upon him, and by his scourging we are healed. Even as we got to the end of that verse, do you start to feel some satisfaction in what Christ has done for you? Through his scourging, we are healed. I know, I know, we are unworthy recipients of this, aren't we? This great plan between the Father and the Son, how it's spilled out onto us, is an amazing thing. Unworthy recipients as a result of the death of Christ. Yet our need was to pay a debt that we could not pay. And he did that. You realize that eternity is not long enough for us to try to pay up for our sins ourselves. We couldn't do it. In one act of dying, he paid for all our sin. One act of dying, he paid for all our sin. As we spend some time thinking about this, I'm reminded of the words of D.L. Moody who said this, Looking at the wound of sin will never save anyone. What you must do is look at the remedy. Very true. Our our need is not just merely that we might be forgiven. Our need is for a Savior. (laughs) And that's who we have. He came and He took our place. That's our need. Our need is for a Savior. This grace that we've been given has been defined this way. Grace means the free unmerited, unexpected love of God and all the benefits, delights, and comforts that flow from it. It means that while we were sinners and enemies, we have been treated as sons and heirs. And a little bit ago, we just sang, love so divine, so amazing, so divine, demands my life and my soul and my all. Do you have satisfaction in Christ? Do you have that? Let me read to you what he said to you. In Romans chapter 10. I want you to contemplate on this very seriously. And ask yourself if this even applies to you. For this is why he died, that you might say, this is about me. Romans chapter 10. I'm just going to start reading in verse number 9. This is our need. If you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord. Believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart a person believes, resulting in righteousness. With the mouth he confesses, resulting in salvation. For the scripture says, whoever believes in him will not be disappointed. For there is no distinction between a Jew and Greek. The Lord is the Lord of all abounding in riches for all who call on Him. For whoever will call on the name of the Lord will be saved. Have you done so? Have you called on Him? 
you will not have satisfaction in anything spiritual apart from Him. Nothing. You will not have sins forgiven without Him. You will not have the hope of heaven without Him. You will not be a part of God's family without Him. Whoever will call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. How shall they call on Him in whom they have not believed? How shall they believe in Him in whom they have not heard? How will they hear without a preacher? How will they preach unless they are sent? Just as it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news of great things, or good news of good things. However, they did not all heed the good news, for Isaiah said, Lord, who has believed our report? Faith comes from hearing, and hearing by the word of God. You've heard this evening what Christ has done for you. I'm, I'm trusting, I'm hoping that you understand it. And I'm hoping that you believe it. And that you've called upon the Savior to receive that gift that He's given to us. That's our need. Our need is to respond to what He has done. We could not do what He did, can we? We could not have paid the price ourselves. But we can be thankful. We can respond. We can believe. That's what He called us to do. And I ask you to contemplate that this this very evening. For you see already the Father's need to display His justice, His faithfulness, His grace. The Son's need to do the Father's will and to, to bring us salvation. And our need to be forgiven. Our need to respond to this great news. All of that has been accomplished except what takes place in your own heart. And I trust that also has been accomplished too that you have received Christ as Savior. If not, would you do so tonight? Do so tonight. As we take of this uh, communion, it's a reminder that Jesus Christ died for us. He said when he, when he took that bread and he broke it and he handed it to his disciples, he says, this is my body which is broken for you. When he took that cup and he handed it to his disciples, he says, this cup represents my blood, the blood of the covenant, which was poured out for you. And he kept saying, for you, for you. And he did that with his disciples. And I want you to realize that this is a reminder of that. This, this bread that we eat and this drink that we drink is a reminder of what Jesus had told us to do. To remember what he has accomplished for us. And I want you to remember it. When that plate comes your way, you see the bread in that plate. Remember, it represents, it's a reminder of the body of Christ that was broken because of your sin and my sin. And if you have received Jesus Christ as your Savior, take it with thankfulness and remember what He's done and praise His name for it. And if you've never received Jesus Christ as Savior, let that plate pass by you. Alright? Just let it pass by you. But think while you let that happen. You've been given an opportunity to believe and you've chosen not to. Think about that as the plate passes by. When the cup comes your way, remember, that's blood. That reminds us of the blood of Christ that was spilt for us. He died and shed His blood for the forgiveness of our sins. If you have received Jesus Christ as your Savior, your sins have been forgiven. And receive that cup with thankfulness. Receive it with joy. Praise His name for what He has done. 
But if you have never received Christ as your Savior, let that cup pass by you. But remember, He's offered it to you, and you did not receive it. I hope that all of us in this room tonight have received Christ as Savior. That's why He died. And if not, during the time of my prayer even now, would you trust Him as your Savior? And as soon as I finish the prayer, would the elders come forward and assist me in this communion service, please? Heavenly Father, we are mindful tonight of what you have done for us. We're overwhelmed with your love and your grace and your mercy to people like us. Thank you. Thank you for what you have done. Thank you for giving your Son, your only Son, for us. We cannot even comprehend the anguish that it brings to a father to give of his son. But that was your will. And that was the way that had to be accomplished for you to be satisfied and for your grace to be displayed. Thank you for what you have done. And our Savior, Jesus Christ, we come before you tonight with thankfulness too. Thankfulness that you were obedient to the Father's will in every single way even to the point of a cross, even to death on a cross, that you would do that for us, that you would do it that we might be saved, that we might become the fruit of your work. We thank you, Father. We thank you, Savior. Lord, there might be some among us here, even this evening, who have never received Christ as Savior. They have seen what he's done for them. They've heard the word that says, call upon the name of the Lord and you will be saved. And even while they're sitting right here in the pew, they can call out to you, Lord, and you will save them just as you promised. Forgiveness of sin is theirs through the blood and death of Jesus Christ. And I pray, Lord, that you might draw their hearts to yourself even now, for only you can do that. Only you can change a heart. We ask that you might be active in our midst, that you would see the fruit of your labor among us. And Lord, as we now partake of this bread and of this drink, may we be the most thankful people on this earth when we recall what you have done for us. We approach it almost hesitantly, for it is a holy place in that regard that our Savior should die for us. It sobers us so quickly. It reminds us of how deep and how dark our sin really is. And yet, once again, the blood of Christ shines so much brighter. The forgiveness of Christ, the hope of everlasting life, the joy of our salvation, it all is represented in this communion service. And we come as thankful people tonight. Praise your name for what you have done. Now as we partake, Lord... We remember what you have done, and we give you the glory in Jesus' name. Amen.